When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago Herb School, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about elecampane, one of my all-time favorite garden plants and medicinal herbs. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Elecampane, botanical name Inula helenium, is a beautiful, beautiful plant. And right now it is in full bloom in my garden. It grows about, mm, I want to say eight feet tall. Um, It might be a little shorter than that, but it feels huge. And it's just the leaves are so large and the stalk is really big and strong with branches at the top with these big, beautiful, golden sun-like blossoms that have a very solid core center to them, a composite flower, a ray flower, and then all around the outside, these like really thin, delicate petals that ray out around it. It is very unique looking and relatively stunning, I would say. It's kind of a cross between like a sunflower and a rudbeckia almost. I suggest that everyone grow it if you can grow it. It's just a stunning plant. It goes really nice in the back of gardens or kind of like off in a corner in a shady, moist corner of the yard 
to bring some nice bright light to that corner. It's a really interesting herb that has quite a bit of history and folklore around it. I think because in some ways because it is so stunning, but then the root is very highly medicinal and has a lot of volatile oils to it. So it has a very strong scent and flavor to it. And of course, those volatile oils mean that it is very highly antimicrobial and can also um, really kind of help break up congestion and have some antispasmodic and calming effects as well, as well as some stimulating effects. So again, it's one of these herbs that if you've been listening to me for a while, or if you know a bit about herbalism, herbs can go very often in two different ways, and especially when they are uh, sedative or stimulating herbs, they can kind of work in both directions, depending on how they are worked with and who is working with them. So I'd like to start by kind of breaking down the name of this wonderful, majestic plant. So the common name is Elecampane. It's the original name that was before um, Linnaeus gave it its botanical name, which is Inula Hellenium. It was originally, well, not maybe originally, but it was called at one point in the 5th century, um, Enula Campana. So you can kind of see how that would blend in to become Elecampane, Enula Campana or Inula Campana. And that basically Enula or Inula is thought to be mm, a corruption of Helena or Helen. And Campana is means a field, or it could be relating to uh, Campania, which was a place where it grew abundantly, I believe, in what is now Italy. The Enula Campana breaks down to Helen of the field, essentially. And this herb is known to be named after Helen, Helen of Troy, um, and, and Helen of Troy, she has a lot of interesting mythology around her, and it's all kind of confusing and lots of different stories that contradict each other from the brief amount of research that I have done on her. But it seems as though she is a goddess, that she was, um, her father is Zeus, but that maybe she kind of lived among humans. And she was known to be the most beautiful woman in the world. And I think probably the most common story around her is that she, you know, was married to one king or one man who had a lot of power. And then she was abducted or maybe had an affair with another man who also had a lot of power. And then that one man took her away from her home and brought um, her to his home in Troy. So originally she was maybe from Sparta area and her husband was Men 
Menelaus, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, and then she was abducted by a man named Paris, who it appeared that, um, yeah, there's some twisted story about you know, three goddesses that wanted Paris to tell them which one was the most beautiful. And then so one of the goddesses, I don't remember which one, um, promised Paris the most beautiful wife if if he chose her to be the most beautiful goddess. Uh, you know, this already doesn't sound, this already sounds very like a patriarchal um, shift away from like the true goddess traditions and, you know, oh, like all women care about is the beauty in the eye of the men. So, but I think that it's interesting because if you take Helen back even further and based on her name, it's thought um, that it was derived from Helios, which means divine light, sunlight, the sun itself, and that she could have been originally um, a sun goddess or one of these goddesses that was known to be, you know, part-time in the this realm and then part-time in the underworld, you know, in the wintertime, and that she would be a bringer of light and sun and also potentially a goddess of vegetation. And so that all makes a lot much more sense to me in relating it to this beautiful stunning plant that looks like it has these beautiful sun ray flowers to it um, however it is a very stunningly beautiful plant so if you want to name it after a stunning stunningly beautiful woman or goddess then that I guess is understandable as well so there are a couple few stories that, um, you know, come up a lot in the literature about maybe other reasons why this plant was named after um, Helen. And one is that Helen, like when she was being abducted, that she was holding a bunch of Ella Campaign in her arms when she was taken away from her home. And another story says that as she was being taken away and on her travels, that as her tears dropped to the ground, that Ella Campaign grew from her teardrops, which I think is pretty beautiful. Then it's also said that Helen maybe first used this plant against venomous bites. And then another, yet another story says that this plant isn't necessarily named after her. It's named after the island of St. Helena that, or St. Helena, that supposedly grew the best elecampane. Although for me, that's like the sketchiest because um, after looking at where this island is, it's kind of like <clears throat> in the middle of the Southern Atlantic off of the coast of Africa. I think it was like a big port between Europe and Asia as, as like a stopover ground. But based on the fact that this plant, well, I mean, it was native to both Europe and Asia or the whole kind of Eurasian temperate regions, um, possibly, but it seems like this island 
unless there's another island than the one that I found in my research um, that was a St. Helena Island. It's more tropical island, and so that doesn't really sound like a place where Ella Campaign would grow. So for me, in all of my research, what I think that and what I love and which I want to believe in is that this plant is named after a sun goddess, a strong, beautiful sun goddess of vegetation. And so that's what I'm going to run with. I'll let you be your own judge. So Ella Campaign, Helen of the Field, and then Inula Helenium is what Linnaeus decided to dub her. And so which basically means Helen of Helen, right? Because Inula was a corruption of Helen. And then Helenium is just ties it back in. Another really fun common name of this herb that was more in like Europe and um, the United Kingdom area was Elf Dock. And it was known for having large, well, it is known for having large leaves. So basically any plant that has the common name dock tends to have large leaves. So if you think of burdock, it's a large leaf plant that has burrs. Yellow dock is a large leaf plant that has a yellow root. Elf dock, which is what Ella Campaign was called, was a large leafed plant. And it was believed that elfin folk would live or hang out under these really large leaves, which is uh, pretty fun. And then later on, we'll talk a little bit about another aspect that it was thought in England, the use of elecamp pain was to help people who had cases of what was called elf shot, which the idea, the thought was that they had been punctured by elf arrows and their strength and vitality vitality was leaking away through these punctures and that the elecamp pain was helpful for um, rebuilding the strength and relieving the exhaustion of elf shot illness. So I feel like there's some sort of correlation there as well. Ella Campaign has a long history of being used medicinally throughout Europe and Asia. And it also was thought of as an edible root, although I think probably just in smaller amounts, like it's not something that you would eat a big bowl of because it does have a very strong flavor to it. But it was also considered a food tonic herb. It's it's considered to be uh, very safe for both young children and our elders. And it has a fair amount of medicinal properties. So one that I've already alluded to already is that it's very antiseptic and antimicrobial, anti-infective, so it can really fight infections. And these can be infections throughout the body, but it is definitely best known for fighting infections in the lungs. Elecampane is also analgesic, which means it's pain relieving. 
and it can be used, uh, I think it's used mostly topically for this effect. Also has a rubefacient quality, it's very warming. And rubefacient basically means it brings blood to the uh, outer surfaces of the skin and is warming and brings circulation and areas that could use a little bit of uh, blood flow that might be uh, pain or have some stagnancy to them. So that would be more, prob I've never used it this way, but I am tempted to use it this way and to make a infused oil as a massage oil with it. This herb, elecampane, is also known as to be astringent, so it can tighten mucous membranes and um, kind of shrink tissue to some degree, make it... Um, stronger and come together and heal tissue. It's diuretic, so it has an effect on the kidneys and just to help relieve some excess water from the body. It's known to be a strengthening tonic, so it can really help to build strength and vitality and is a gentle stimulant. So again, that I think relates to its volatile oil content. Definitely, if you taste it, you're just kind of like, "Ooh, okay, I'm, I feel a little peppy. <laughs> uh, it's known as a choleretic, which basically means it helps the liver to release bile. So it's also bitter, uh, a bitter digestive, and it's a warming bitter digestive. So it gets all of your digestive secretions, your saliva, your stomach acid, and your bile um, active and ready to digest. And, you know, I've seen it mentioned maybe one or two places as an alternative and that makes sense to me. It, it's not what I would first, I don't necessarily automatically think, oh, Ella Campaign, alterative. But again, you know, as an alterative is um, an herb that helps to bring us toward a healthier state of being by working with our organs of metabolism, like our digestive organs and our liver and our kidneys. And so Elecampane definitely has effects on all of those organs and others. So I think it does make sense that it would be an alternative. It's also, even though it's known as a gentle stimulant, it also is known to be calming. Um, again, calming for the digestion, calming for lungs. So that would both be maybe like helping to soothe spasms or like a spasmodic cough or any sort of cramping or um, digestive irritability or hyperacidity, calming of the mind and also calming of the female reproductive organs. So for cramping or maybe to help um, ease the oncoming of a menstruation menstruation there are a couple well there's one specific um chemical that has been identified i mean there's actually a few i'm sure there's more than a few i'm sure there's a bunch of chemicals that have been identified in elecampane root 
But one that uh, really stands out and gets a lot of attention is a component of the volatile oil, and which has been dubbed helenin. It's also found in other herbs as well, but oftentimes, um, you know, if chemicals are first found in one herb, then they can be named for that herb. Uh, an example of this is the thymol, which is the volatile oil that was what we talked about in last week's episode about bee balm, and that bee balm actually has maybe even higher amounts of thymol than thyme has, but it's called thymol because that's where they first discovered it from, was the thyme plant. So this is helenin. Another name for this component is allantolactone, and it's a it's part of the bitter that this herb has, and it's known to kill. It's known to be very highly antimicrobial, so it kills. Um, ordinary bacterial organisms and even uh, organisms like tuberculosis or that cause tuberculosis. Uh, powerful, known as a powerful antiseptic and bactericide. And it has been extracted and turned into a drug where they will use one part to 10,000 um, in a solution and it will kill any ordinary bacterial organisms by the use of just a few drops. And in Spain, it's used successfully as a surgical dressing. So again, I would never use just that one component because that sounds very harsh. Um, but it does show that, you know, that is a very potent aspect of the elecampane's antimicrobial properties. This uh, constituent, another thing that it's known to do is that it's able to expel intestinal parasites, including pinworms and giardia. Another component of the elecampane root is uh, mucilage, and it's so it's best to extract mucilage in water um, extracts. So either in a decoction or infusion is the best way to actually access that mucilage versus a tincture. When the mucilage is going to be anti-inflammatory and soothing to mucous membranes, um, it's, it can be antimicrobial and, but, and also increase immune defense. Um, another aspect, and this probably links back actually to the helenin, but the um, elecampane is known to be a biofilm disrupting herb, and especially for really strong bacterial infections like MRSA. So biofilm, from my understanding, is when a bacteria kind of come together in community and form a, a film that they can attach themselves more easily to the body and then also be harder to destroy and break up, especially with modern day drugs and modern day antibiotics. So it's... Um, 
nice to know that there are some herbs that can help break up those biofilms, and elecampane is one. And then another um, constituent of elecampane that is really well known is inulin. And inulin was actually first discovered in elecampane in 1804. And so it its name is based on Inula, which is the genus of elecampane. So the fall roots of elecampane, if you harvest them really late into the into the fall, into the early winter, like after it's frosted a couple times and most of the or all of the plant has died back, it is a perennial. Um, then and you harvest those fall or early winter roots it could be that up to 44% of that root is inulin. And inulin is, a, from my understanding, it's a undigestible sugar for us, but our gut flora and bacteria love it. So it's actually very helpful for the health of our gut flora. And they, so it's considered a prebiotic. Another benefit of inulin is it's so because it's a sugar, but it's not a sugar that we digest, it can help to stabilize our blood sugar levels. Um, and it's used like kind of thought of as a diabetic safe sugar. So sometimes you can buy just straight inulin now and use it in baked goods for people who have diabetes that so it doesn't kind of um, rock their blood sugar levels so much. It's also beneficial for the liver. I will say sometimes if you consume and you're not used to it a whole lot, of inulin or roots that are really strong in inulin, like sunchokes, um, even burdock root has a lot of inulin in it. Echinacea has a lot of inulin. Dandelion has a fair amount of inulin as well in the fall and winter. I mean, it's basically how the root stores its food for the winter. And so since elecampane grows so huge and so quickly, it's really beneficial for it to have a lot of the stored food in the root for it to feed on as the spring and summer progresses. So it can grow really big, really fast. And same with burdock. It's a plant that can get really big in the second year and it really helps that it has these stores of inulin to do so. Inulin also, like if you make a tincture with roots that are high in inulin, it um, it doesn't dissolve in, it's like insoluble in alcohol. So it will create this like white paste almost, or yeah, in the, in your tincture jar, which might look kind of funky, like some weird kind of mold or mildew. When you first see it, it can be kind of a turnoff, but that's actually the inulin. So if you do have that in your tincture, it's really good to kind of shake up your tincture so that you are getting some of that inulin when you take your tincture. I would say that most people know of elecampane as a lung herb, even though it does have all these other benefits. But 
It really, really is beneficial for fighting any sort of chesty conditions, even when people are in states of debility. It's a very gentle herb. It's not too intense, although the flavor might be a little intense for some people if you're not used to it. I personally don't mind the flavor. Um, So it's considered an expectorant, which helps to bring up excess mucus out of the lungs, especially if you have like these really deep coughs where you can kind of feel that there's a lot of... mucus like deep down in your lungs and kind of rattling around in there but you're not really able to fully expel it so the elecant pain really kind of helps to loosen that up a little bit and make it easier to expel both because it has mucilage to it which helps to add and thin out and soften the mucus that's in your lungs, but also because of the essential oils, it's like same concept as, you know, breathing, doing a steam of mint or something like smelling those volatile oils. You can just kind of feel it breaking up the mucus and congestion and allowing it to flow better. So any sort of chronic respiratory illness, elecampane can be really helpful for people who have bronchitis, asthma, um, even like an asthma that has a bronchitis aspect to it, emphysema, whooping cough, tuberculosis, any sort of, um, any sort of lung issue you can think elecampane first and see and see what you think again it's going to be warming and the energetics are warming so especially if you have like a cold um, kind of stuck feeling in your lungs then it would be really beneficial um, the flowers I guess from what I read are used in China and are considered to lower chi and therefore stop coughing So I thought that was interesting. I saw someone, it might have been Yule Gibbons, someone was talking about um, like roasting the flowers with some honey. And then I don't know if they ate them or then made a tea with them. I don't know. But it sounded quite interesting. I was inspired. So today I went out to my Elecant pain plant and not that I want to lower my chi at all. But I just, I've always been curious about the flowers and if you could tincture them and what it would be like and if they would be beneficial at all. So I, so today I made a tincture with the flowers and I'm just really curious to see what it's going to taste like, even though definitely the main medicine and where the majority of those volatile oils and definitely the mucilage and the inulin are located are going to be in the roots. So um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, that we actually, I feel like a lot of times we, and especially in the heroic tradition of healing, we, uh, people have a fear of mucus or like mucus is bad in the body or like if we have mucus, then we have a problem. 
But really, um, mucus is really important to our health. And especially in all of our, we have mucus membranes that line like the insides of all of our organs that come into contact with any sort of outside air or food or anything like that. So mucus is actually also a very important uh, part of our immune system, our immune response. So we don't want to like totally dry up all mucus or eliminate all mucus from our body because it's actually super healthy and super important. And when we are coughing and when we do feel like we have a lot of mucus in our lungs, as long as you know we can still breathe and it's not too crazy, um, the whole point that we're coughing up this mucus is our body's way of working. Like that's good. That's what our body is supposed to be doing. That mucus is meant to you know, trap and stop pathogens or any sort of outside things that we breathe in our into our lungs that we don't want to get further and kind of trap it and then work its way, the cilia in our lungs, um, work it back up and out. And so that's really actually important. And sometimes if we have a lot of mucus, then we can just cough cough it up and out. And so that's really beneficial. And sometimes we just, you know, it just like the lungs, the cilia will just work it right up to where the part of our esophagus goes either to the lungs or to the stomach. And then it just that mucus will just kind of go into our stomach. And the stomach acid will kill anything that's in there and then it will just get eliminated. But if we're coughing up large amounts, then it goes all the way up into our mouth and then obviously we can decide what to do with it there. So coughing, especially if it's a productive cough, you don't want to suppress a productive cough because you don't want all that mucus to be sitting in your lungs. But if you're having spasmodic, like unproductive coughs that like it's already kind of dry and it's just spasming, an irritating, annoying cough from inflammation or a tickle in your throat, then that those are okay to just kind of calm the spasm and to stop the cough. And really, I find that elecampane can do both. It's, you know, again, it's this amphoteric effect where it's both can be stimulating or can be calming depending on what the body needs. So I've uh, worked with it a lot in the past and um, both as a tincture and an oxymel um, and elixir. I haven't done much with tea, although I probably should. Um I just find that it's a lot easier just to have, you know, these like pre-prepared medicines that I can just kind of sip on as needed. So I was doing um, a little research on the mucus in our lungs, and I came across a study that was done and published by the PMC, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health, 
by the PMC, U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health, and it's called The Interaction Between Respiratory Pathogens and Mucus. And it has four authors, Zanin, Baviscar, Webster, and Webby are the last names. And they're in their um, introduction. I think they made some really good points. So I just want to uh, read those to you. The classical rules of respiratory mucus are to maintain the hydration of the respiratory tract and to act as a protective barrier against the external environment by trapping particulate matter, including pathogens. Trapped matter can then be expelled from the airways by mucociliary clearance, the rhythmic beating of cilia bundles on the airway epithelium. It is now clear that this classical model is not complete and that mucus is a complicated multi-component secretion with numerous functions. The functions of respiratory mucus now include immune response regulation, the presentation of molecules that are inhibitory to pathogens, the regulation of cell differentiation and proliferation, and the maintenance of the barrier function of the epithelium. And the epithelium are basically like the the cells that line the lungs. Respiratory tract mucus is the first interaction that inhaled agents have with a potential new host. Accordingly, this mucus layer can determine the infectivity and potentially the transmissibility of respiratory pathogens, including influenza viruses, respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, and rhinoviruses, as well as pathogenic lung colonization, by the opportunistic bacterial pathogen Pseudomonas aeruginosa, PA, particularly in patients with cystic fibrosis. So not only is the mucus just a barrier to our lungs, but it has immune response regulation. It, It inhibits pathogens. It's able to differentiate cells and help to regulate the different cell proliferation. And it also is able to maintain a barrier um, to protect the actual lung tissue. So we love our mucus. We just don't want it to get too much and too stuck in there. We want it to be moving out with whatever pathogen it might be carrying with it. Or, I mean, right now with the wildfires um, affecting the air quality pretty much of the whole country. I know our air quality on the coast of Maine has been affected by the wildfires out west. And so even all of that um, is what our mucus uh, can really help protect us from and help eliminate before it's able to do damage. So 
Elecampane may even be helpful for those dealing with the wild, even more extreme air quality um, based on the wildfires. <clears throat> so not only does elecampane uh, benefit our digestion, but it also, I mean, not only, not only does elecampane benefit our lungs for many different reasons, but it also benefits our digestion. So I mentioned that it had a bitter constituents in these volatile oils, and generally volatile oils help to ease um, digestion and spasms, like think gas and bloating. You think of like the classic digestive herbs are mint and fennel and all, you know, carminative herbs are usually because they have some nice volatile oils to them. So the, m many digestive bitters are very cooling in nature. And so it's nice to have some warming bitters in your apothecary or your herbal toolbox. And elecampane is one. It also can um, increase appetite and just get the whole digestive process going. And as I said, it helps to promote the bile release from the liver. And the inulin is going to help to support the microbes. Um, and so then when the microbes in our gut are healthy, then they are able to digest our other food better for us as well. I also alluded to the fact that elecampane has been used to ease pain externally in a in an ointment or a liniment um, to treat sciatica and neuralgia. So if there's like pain in the nerves themselves, um, it could be really beneficial for easing that. And just known generally as a strengthening tonic. So if you just feel really run down or maybe you have elf shot and you've been shot by little elves with little arrows and your vitality is slowly leaking away, then elecampane is probably the herb for you. Female issues, um, again, it can bring on a suppressed menses and just generally help um, with the uterus health. You don't really see so many warnings about it for women who are pregnant, although I think any time that there is an herb with any sort of a menagogue property, which basically means that can help bring on a period, then women who are pregnant um, should be cautious. But again, in small, uh, mild doses, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's never brought on a period for me. I mean, just, and I have used it a lot. So it's not like you take a campaign and oops, you're bleeding now. It's, it's not like that. But maybe if, you know, if you're just, if you're having a lot of kind of your flow is not really going the way you want it to, your menstrual flow, then maybe this could be a beneficial herb for that. So lots of benefits of elecampane. Um, next, I want to get into um, the how to make medicine with it. So stick with me. 
and we'll be right back and we'll talk about making some great remedies to help you work with this wonderful medicinal plant. Alright, so making medicine with elegant pain, making herbal remedies, maybe I should say, with elegant pain. So there's lots of ways that you can work with this plant. And really the best is if you're growing it in your yard or it might be hard to plant to grow in a pot, I'm thinking. But if you're growing it in your garden, um, that's going to be the best. You can also buy the root dried and or you can buy pre-made remedies with it if you'd like. But what I like to do is I've, you know, I've had the, this plant that actually I got from my mother's garden when before she moved. <clears throat> so she probably had it for a couple years. And then I planted it when I moved to this house um, 10 years ago. So I have a, it was one plant that was 10 years old and now it's kind of turned into a, a row of plants all on its own. It's kind of like a little hedge. And I always l like to let the flowers go to seed in hopes that I'll have lots of little elecampane plants popping up. Although I haven't had many, it doesn't really seem to like to reseed itself easily. I don't think maybe it likes to have a lot of competition. You can't, you could probably more easily start it from seed and in pots than just, you know, letting it self seed itself. Although maybe I've had a couple start, but it does, it has these um, long tap roots, of course long thick tap roots and but I find that the tap roots often kind of grow laterally and then sometimes other plants will kind of pop up laterally um, it's not like it's not like they're growing on rhizomes but it just seems to work where now where I had one plant I have kind of these three big elecant panes that kind of grow in a row and so the the best way I find to harvest the elecampane root is to just like kind of loosen the soil along the side, one of the sides of the plant, and you'll find the tap roots kind of growing laterally or some of them. And I just harvest one or two of those lateral tap roots. And so you don't, I don't even end up digging up the whole plant. I just harvest a piece of the root and then put the soil back over and it's it's very non-disruptive to the plant. And again, I like to wait until most of the plant or all of the plant has totally died back, but before the ground is totally frozen. So even if it's early December here into November, um, that's no problem at all. 
And that, that way you're going to get the most inulin as well. So I'll, t- I'll, harvest the pl- I'll harvest the root and I'll bring it inside and clean it up with some water. And then I am ready to make some remedies. So the first remedy I like to make, and this is what I've been working with lately, is an elixir which is, to me, an elixir basically means alcohol and honey combined. So it's a tincture with honey in it or some sort of sweetener, but I like honey. Honey also is a great antimicrobial and very soothing for coughs. So I kind of feel like it's a match made in heaven. And I've been um, using up my Elecampane elixir that I made last fall because, you know, coming off of the flu that I had um, a week ago, and then I used up my Monarda fistulosa tincture. And so I just had like a little bit of a remnant cough, and it's a little bit of excess mucus in the lungs. So I decided to um, work with the Elecampane elixir. And mostly what I did is I just I think the first day I started using it, I had it, you know, in the kitchen and then the dining room and then I brought it up to my bedroom. So I used it a few times. I just kind of carried it around with me and I had a little shot glass and I just would put pour and I hadn't even strained it or anything. The roots are still in the jar and I would just pour out the elixir, you know, through the roots and Um, into a little shot glass that I would just kind of fill the bottom part of the shot glass and then I would just throw it back, sip it. It actually tastes pretty good with that honey to sweeten it and kind of cut the harshness of the alcohol. I use 100 proof vodka and honey and I probably did um, like two-thirds alcohol and one-third honey, roughly. You could also do like three-quarters alcohol, one-quarter honey. For me, it's not an exact science. I just kind of mix it all together. And now that, so I basically chop up the fresh root, and fresh is best because you're going to have the most volatile oil content because it hasn't dissipated at all from the drying process. Although if you are using dried roots, then the volatile oils that are still in the root are going to be more concentrated because there's no water in the root to dilute it. So you could try this with dried roots if that's all you have access to, no problem, and see what you get. Um, Basically, for the fresh roots, I mostly fill my jar with chopped fresh roots, and then I cover it with the you know, two thirds vodka, and then I top it off with honey. And then in time, it all melds, you can shake it, turn it upside down, back and forth, whatever. I mean, mine's pretty much been sitting for about nine months anyway, just as is. Um, with the dried root, you'd probably want to put maybe only a third of the jar with your dried root because it will they will expand once they are exposed to the vodka. Um, and again, they're more concentrated because they've been dried and all the moisture has been taken out of them. So maybe fill the jar one third to almost a half full of dried roots, and then you can do the vodka and honey on top of that. 
or just plain vodka. And then you can just mix your tincture with honey when you take it is the other way you can do it and a little bit of warm water. So after I did a day where I probably did like, you know, multiple doses throughout the day of the elixir, I ended up just kind of leaving the jar and the shot glass next to my bed. And then every night before I go to sleep, I would take a little shooter of this elixir. I mean, again, just like the shot glass would just at the very bottom have the elixir in it. You can also add water if you want to water it down, but I like the full flavor. And then if I was, you know, sometimes like after you sleep all night and then you wake up and you kind of like hack up a bunch of mucus that a, that a, your body's been working on all night long and it's kind of settled down and out. So I figure I take a little before I go to sleep so I'm not coughing when I sleep. And then in the morning, I take some just to help expel the mucus from the night and to help, you know, get that out so I'm not coughing throughout the day. And I did that for a couple days. And yeah, I, I find that, you know, with the herbal remedies, it's like you take them and you just keep taking them. And then after a while, you're like, oh, I kind of forgot to take that. I guess I don't really need it anymore, you know. So just as you feel called to take it, take it. And always like have it nearby, you know, right now. Um, I was still taking some in the morning before I would leave to go to work. And so I think I have the jar right now on my kitchen counter. And I've pretty much emptied it out just with like the easy pours. I haven't strained it. I haven't squeezed the root out or anything. But from here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a tincture tea. So I'm going to take those roots. I might even put them in a bigger jar or I might just leave them in the jar that they're in. And I'm going to pour hot water over them and let them sit for 20 minutes to an hour or even longer, but it probably will just, you know, and then the hot water will help to extract out, you know, the rest of the alcohol from the herb and the honey and just kind of, it'll be like a milder elixir basically. And then I'll take that and I'll just take it in a little bit larger doses and I'll probably pour hot water in that jar, you know, I'll go through it maybe two or three times until I really feel like it's tasting like I've gotten most of the medicine out of it. And then I'll compost the roots or feed them to my chickens, probably more likely. Um, so that's the elixir. Now, another thing, another remedy that I really enjoyed making with elecampane root, fresh elecampane root, is I would slice the taproot into round slices. And people would um, have candied the elecampane root, which um, I, I have not done, but I think it would be very similar to, you know, you can basically just infuse it in honey. You know, just make elecampane root honey if you want in the jar. And then you could strain out the honey and then just let those honeyed roots kind of dry. Um to make them candied, or you could do what well, I've done this with ginger, and I assume you could do this with elecampane, is to make like candied elecampane root where you cook it 
um, on the stovetop on really low heat with honey or sugar, a little bit of sugar water until it, you cook out all the water and then you're just kind of left with like cooked, sticky, sweet roots that you could chew on. Now there's the oxymel, and oxymel is a honey and vinegar combo. So it's essentially exactly how I make the elixir, but instead of using 100 proof vodka, I use apple cider vinegar. And I always like to pasteurize my vinegar first before I make herbal remedies with it so that I am not, don't have like a breeding ground for all kinds of yeast and bacteria. So the quick way to pasteurize the vinegar is just heat it to a boil in a non-metal pot. I like to use a Pyrex glass pot. Just heat it to a boil and then cool it back to room temperature. And then slice the um, elecampane root into rounds and infuse it in the vinegar and the honey. Now oxymels even just vinegar and honey by itself, apple cider vinegar, I think mostly, and honey has, has, has an affinity for the lungs unto itself. Even if you don't put any herbs in it, it helps to you know, break up congestion and has antimicrobial and the vinegar just really kind of helps penetrate into that lung tissue. So with the added elecampane, it's tasty, it's tart, it's like a sweet tart, sour, but with like this like kind of camphorous flavor of the elecampane root. Now one day, I just, I, this was a couple winters ago, I had a cough and I was teaching some, I was doing like an herbal workshop series and the next day I was supposed to teach and I did teach a workshop. And so that night, just so, and it was like one of those coughs that like kind of kept you up at night because you were just coughing so much. So what I did again, next to my bed, I had my Oxymel, my Elecampane Oxymel. And I decided I was going to just kind of put one of those pieces of root from the Oxymel and put it in my mouth and just sleep with it, like kind of tucked into my mouth. So I was kind of like, uh, that's now I'm thinking of it. it doesn't really sound very safe like oh I'm glad I didn't choke on that but I guess I like maybe tucked it kind of like in between my tongue and my teeth or in between my teeth and my lip I don't know but it was there all night long and I woke up in the morning and my tongue was felt very weird so this is not something I, this is actually a cautionary tale like I'm definitely not recommending <laughs> to do this this was too much. And my tongue was, I can't even remember now. I don't know if it was numb or I definitely couldn't taste anything. I couldn't like taste my tea or like feel even like maybe I couldn't even feel the hot liquid on my tongue. Like I totally numbed the taste buds for sure. And I don't know. I was like, oh my gosh, I might have just totally destroyed my tongue with this piece of elecampane root. But it did come back and my tongue is totally fine now. But it was definitely at least 24 hours, maybe even longer, maybe even 48 hours where my tongue was not right from having had an elecampane root on it the whole night long. So don't do that. 
Um, but I did not cough that night and I was able to give my class um, without, you know, coughing every time I tried to talk. So that worked out fine. The next um, thing that you, the next remedy that you could make uh, with your elegant pain root is a decoction. And this you could definitely do with dried root that you buy. Um, you could even dry your own root or you could do it with fresh root if you liked as well. Uh, you could even probably do uh, an inf like a tea with the fresh root because again, you want those volatile oils. And so with the fresh root chopped up and it, like infused in hot water for 20 minutes covered, you will get those oils. But the decoction will give you a little bit more and also give you the inulin. And so this you can do again with the fresh root or the dried root. Um, if you want to dry your own root, the way I like to dry roots is just chop them up and then spread them out on a screen or on um, even like a brown paper bag that's in a loosely woven basket. So you get airflow, but you don't lose your little root pieces through your basket. And they dry, root, roots actually dry pretty quickly and nicely that way, I find. Again, out of sunlight, you want to dry your roots. Not in the sun, that is. So decoction is basically when you simmer your root. Uh, so decoctions are made with plants that have tough plant material. So it's roots, uh, berry, dried berries, um, or even fresh berries, I guess and seeds, barks, things like that. You wouldn't necessarily want to make a decoction usually out of leaves or flowers. Those are kind of too delicate. But for all those really tough plant parts, decoctions are good. And a decoction could just be as basic as just simmering, you know, a tablespoon of root per cup of water. Uh, for 20 minutes covered, then let it steep maybe 20 minutes more without simmering and strain it and drink it. Or a decoction sometimes means uh, making a really concentrated brew by simmering so that your water content is half of what you started with. And that is how you begin to make a syrup. You basically make a really strong decoction uh, so you simmer, simmer, simmer down until you have a really concentrated tea, and then you add uh, equal amount of a sweetener, whether it's honey or um, sugar, which I prefer honey, especially for any sort of lung thing. And that's how you would make a Ella Campaign syrup is you'd strain out your decoction and then just mix, mix in some honey. So lots of options for you um, as far as working with Ella Campaign Root. If you aren't already growing this amazing plant, please do so. Um, find seeds, find a friend that you can get a piece of their Ella Campaign crown, uh, which is, you know, the where the plant meets the root. You can just divide the, the plant pretty easily in the fall, like maybe when you're doing a root harvest, then you could say, oh, do you mind just giving me like 
a part of the both the top of the plant and some root that I can plant. Um, that works pretty well. Or maybe you can find it in a at a nursery or a plant herb farm that specializes in selling herb plants. Otherwise, you can definitely find pre-made elecampane um, remedies, or surely you can buy some dried root from a local herb shop or a distributor like Mountain Rose Herbs or Frontier Co-op, Pacific Botanicals, um, any of those, Star West Botanicals. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can uh, find me on Instagram or Facebook or uh, via my website, All Solidago Herb School. I also have an Instagram for the Healthy Herb Podcast. If you don't mind taking a second or two and rating or writing a quick review for the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube